We thank you that your word is life-changing, so teach us today. In Jesus' name, everyone said amen. amen. We're continuing where we left off last week, just my admonition to read your Bibles, and this is like part two. Isn't that a wonderful picture up there? Love that picture. I want to say over and over again what our vision is. I said that last week. What our values are, we have eight values. Would you repeat it with me out loud? The Lordship of Christ, the Scriptures, prayer, the Holy Spirit, sharing the gospel, people, missions, and developing servant leaders. Those are the non-negotiables that we have, and uh, the Lord has blessed us because of that. Okay, first question. How do you change a country? How do you change America? Here's how you do it. By changing you and by changing me. That's how you change an entire nation. That's what this is about. And we change by being in God's presence. He's the one that changes us. And the more we're with him, the more we become like him. And the first step of being in God's presence is the word of God. It's very sad that most Christians don't read the Bible. You guys are different. We talk about it. We urge you to do it. It is a spiritual discipline. It is life-changing. It will change your life like nothing else. No matter how wounded, how scarred, how dysfunctional your family has been for generations, no matter how much the devil has devastated you in your life, reading the scriptures will change you from the inside out. So say it with me. Let's study. One more time. Let's study. We're not just sitting around like a bump on a log. And say this with me, let's grow. More time, let's grow. Okay, now, you may be like me. I was raised in a good family, but we never read the Bible. We were never taught to read the Bible. My grandmother was the only one who read the Bible, but we didn't know to. And maybe that's you, or maybe you're brand new to the faith. How can I read the Bible and get something out of it? When I was a high school football player after practice uh, one evening, my head coach said a most amazing thing. It was just off-the-cuff remark. He said, I haven't read the Bible in three weeks. And I went, I've never read the Bible. My family, we don't read the Bible. What do you mean? You haven't read it in three weeks? And so... I had a King James Bible, a very small one given to me as a boy. So I got it down. I read Genesis. That was great. I read Leviticus. That was awesome. I'm sorry. I read Exodus. It was awesome. I got to Leviticus and died. I went, oh, no. What is this about? And I closed the Bible saying, this is a closed book. It is not for me. Now, I love Leviticus as much as I love the book of John. So, here's what you do. Get a Bible you can read. And I would suggest start with a paperback. Uh, I tell new people to the faith, don't run to Amazon and spend $200 on a study Bible. You will probably buy the wrong thing. So, This little Bible, we have stacks of them. You're welcome during the service or after the service, come get one. We give them out every week, primarily to new folks in the faith. It has a 10-point type, which means it's pretty easy to read. Uh, It's ESV, English Standard, is very reliable, but it's easy to read. So it's a good starter Bible. By the time you get through this once or twice, it will separate at the spine, fall apart. That's when it's time to get a Bible. 
that can uh, give you a few more tools. Number two, start with the New Testament. This is not a Tom Clancy novel. You start at the back, go to the front. Uh, it's very different. I suggest start in the book of Matthew and read to the book of Revelation. Well, why, Steve? The New Testament, the truth is right on the surface. Husbands, love your wives. Forgive your enemies. Wives, respect your husband. But the Old Testament, there's a lot of truth in symbolism. The truth is like often six inches below the surface. And if you don't know the context, it just goes, that makes no sense. So start in the New Testament. And I would suggest read through the New Testament several times before you go to the Old Testament. Number three, set reading goals. Some of you haven't set a goal for anything your entire life. I set goals for everything in my life. And uh, this is one of the greatest tools to help you grow. I have a four by six uh, card where I finish off reading Every Monday morning, I will put the dates of the next week, and I record the number of chapters I read. Why do you do that? Well, if you say you love Jesus, but you have no time for his book, you really don't love Jesus. That's what that means. If you say you want to grow in your faith, but you haven't been in the book for two months, uh, that just tells the Lord where you are. No plan. Everyone say no plan. No progress. Everyone say no progress. It's that simple. No plan. You're not going to go anywhere. If you wait till you feel like it, you never will. You do this by discipline. Point number four. Mark. Everyone say Mark. Mark using colored pens, markers, underline. By my chairs, I have a little container full of pens that I use every single day. I cannot read my Bible without marking in it. My grandmother, who lived to be almost 110, a godly Presbyterian, you look at her Bible, no marks. Because in that day, Christians were taught the Bible is so holy you can't desecrate it by writing in it. That's true. It is holy, but it is a textbook. It is a study guide. How can I go back and find it? How can I rethink about something if I don't know where it is? Point number five. This will help you. Before you read, ask the Holy Spirit to teach you. If you ask the Holy Spirit to teach you, he will teach you. I try to learn one thing. I don't try to figure out everything. I can't. I try to learn one thing from my daily reading. Point number six, read when. Everyone say when. And read where. Everyone say where. How many morning people do we have? Hold your hand up. You're a morning person. There's three of us. Thank you. So that means you're obviously not engaged right now. Is that true? How many of you, are, of you are night people? Hold your hand up. How many don't know what the heck you are? You're just, you're a floater. Well, I'm a morning person. An hour in the morning is equal to three hours in the afternoon. That's when I am most creative. That's when I am at my best. That's when I am most alert. Avoid distractions. How do you avoid distractions? If this is important, read your Bible in a room and nobody else. I don't need people walking in front of me. I do not need the TV on because I will be watching Sports Center. Sports Center is on. So Sports Center and nothing is on. Try not to get too comfortable for 
35 years, I always read the Bible at the table because I was always a little sleep-deprived. And if I had good posture, sat at the table looking out a window, watching the sun come up was ideal for me. If you're not careful, you will have your quiet time. Anybody gone to sleep reading your Bible? I have. Next, always have a notebook. Always have a pen. Always have a card to write down your thoughts. Romans 8 says, as many who are the sons of God are led by the Spirit of God. You say, well, how do I know if it's the Holy Spirit that spoke or it's just me or the devil? If you write stuff down, you will figure it out. And in my case, I've always felt like the Lord, if he told me something one time, he was not obligated to tell me twice. So that's why I just write stuff down throughout every day of my life. Worship music can be helpful, but I have to have instrumental worship music. I cannot have a worship leader singing Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine, because it takes me out of concentration. I ordered, prior to Christmas, three worship CDs. They were soaking music, and I love soaking music. I love soaking in God's presence, and it was instrumental. And so I'm going on my prayer drive. And I've got three of these, this lady's other stuff, and they're terrific, but she has changed what she does. So she's playing the piano, then all of a sudden she starts injecting little comments like, focus now. Well, you just took me out of focus. <laughs> Listen to the Lord's voice. I was until you told me to, thank you. Repent of your wicked sins, you gnarly person. She didn't say that, but. I sent all three of them back because it didn't work for me. Eight. After you've been doing this for a while, you can find a good study Bible, and there are lots of study Bibles. I've probably got 15 or 20 different study Bibles. This is one of my first. It's a life application Bible. It has great footnotes. You can get it in six or seven translations. It's just a great investment. Uh, For instance, if you're in Samuel, it has these bios, which are really helpful. You know, what did Samuel do well? And where, where did he struggle? And how did he get started? It has great footnotes. Now, the scriptures are without error, but the footnotes have error. If you just know that going in, it's okay. Uh, This talks about a great little teaching in a difficult passage why God did not want Israel to have a king. Here's another Bible I like and read through. It's the Evidence Bible, and it's put out by this guy. Anybody know who this is? This is Ray Comfort, a great soul winner, a great apologist. In this particular article, you can see where I've marked it up. He says when you're sharing the gospel with people, essentially you have to get them lost before you can get them saved. They have to know they need God. Here's another great Bible. It's called the Apologetic Study Bible, and it's written by Josh McDowell. Of course, that's just the comments, okay, are written. And his son, Sean McDowell. The point is in the body of Christ, there are people that have studied the scripture for decades. And I and you can learn from them. Point number nine. This is, was a Holy Spirit breakthrough for me. You can actually read the scriptures and walk away and not remember a single thing that you read. Have you ever done that? 
And the devil said, I told you that was a waste of time, but I learned it wasn't. Because the word of God went in my eyes, went through my brain, went through my soul. And even if nothing caught in my brain, say poor pastor, nothing caught in my pastor's brain. I felt better. My faith was up. I was ready to love again. I was ready to forgive. I was ready to love my wife. I was ready to give my life for others. It's because the entrance of your word is light, Jesus said. Point number 10. Very, very important. Listen to your big brother here. Don't get hung up. Don't get stuck on the things that you do not understand because there's a lot of stuff you do not understand. There's a lot of stuff you and I are not mature enough to handle yet. And what the devil wants to do is point out that passage, point out that difficulty and say, see there? God is not just, or God does not care, or God does not notice you, and you can get discouraged even from reading the scriptures. If you know what you're doing, you won't. So, the devil wants you to stop reading your Bible. Because if you're a believer and you stop reading your Bible, you are essentially no threat to him. Because your life's going to be about you instead of your life about him and other people. Not reading the scriptures is how people get dry. And it's what gets people picked off by the devil. You can serve Jesus for 40 years and get picked off because you get sloppy. You drop your shield. You leave your sword at home. There's people smarter, tougher, more holy than me that have turned their back on God because they got dry. Now, I do not want to say this for any other motive, but I was asking myself this question If I had ever become dry, and this is from memory, I have never gotten dry. 50 years, I've never gotten dry. Oh, I've been discouraged. Oh, I've had dips. Oh, I've done stupid stuff, but I've never gotten dry. And you know why? Because my habit, your habits will make you. My habit is I make a cup of coffee, I get up, I go to my place, I read the scriptures. I grow, I go to pray, then I go and serve. So here's what you do with questions. Here's what you do with difficulties. You mark it. Everyone say mark it. One more time, say mark it. And you keep moving. Say keep moving. Now this is not from this week, but two times this week, and I've been in Isaiah and Psalms this week, two times I have seen a verse I didn't understand, a verse that didn't make sense. I underlined it. I put a question mark in the margin. I circled it, and I moved on. The Holy Spirit will tell me what that means when I need to know it. I'm not going to worry about it now. I'm just moving on because the devil's not going to trick me. Point number 11. After you finish reading the Bible, try to retain at least one truth Trying to understand everything is a trap. One truth. And think about it throughout the day. If you think about it throughout the day, what is that called? Anybody know? What is it called? Remember the answer is always on the screen. It's called meditation. Meditation is writing a scripture down. It's memorizing it. It is thinking about it throughout the year. I may think about one scripture for a solid year. These are verses I've written down to think about. Because as you think about it, it'll go in your head. It'll start getting in your heart. Then it'll start getting in your behavior. Point number 12. 
This is another Holy Spirit life-changing moment. I do not get up and pray first. Maybe one, one short sentence. I get up and read the Bible first, then I go to prayer. Why do you do that, Steve? For this reason. Romans chapter 12 says, don't be, trans, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed. Everyone say transformed by the renewing of your mind. How is your mind renewed? By reading the scripture. And by the time my mind is renewed, I am ready to worship. I am ready to pray. I have got go in my heart. And I'm excited about being in the Lord's presence. If I'm not in the scripture first, it may take me 30 minutes to feel like praying. Because I'm wrapped up in all my problems. So, I asked you last week. I'm going to ask you again today. Will you read the Bible all the way through? Even if it takes you two years, three years, will you do it? And second, will you make it a lifetime discipline? It'll change your life. Now, let's switch gears. Uh, Every year I do this. And uh, ever since I've been here, the church has done this. If you notice, you have something in your bulletin. It's this. Would you pull it out? Everyone pull it out, pull it out, hold it in your little hand. Here's what we do. You got stuff that's coming next year that you don't even know about, but the Holy Spirit knows about. You have weaknesses. The enemy knows you have weaknesses, but you don't even aware. You're not even aware that you're weak in that area. So what we do, we ask the Holy Spirit to give us a verse or a short passage that we can memorize. We write it on the card, memorize it. We think about it. We may tape it on our vanity We keep it as a bookmarker in our Bible, and we think about it, and then we attempt to live it. I put on your outline two Greek words. One is logos. Everyone say logos, which essentially means word, but in the Bible, it's a word of truth for everybody. It's just, it's a general, it's general truth, which is truth. But there's another Greek word called rhema. Everyone say rhema. And rhema is very different. Rhema is a word that the Holy Spirit quickens specifically for you, specifically for that day. Have you read your Bible before? And you, something just jumped out. You went, oh, that's incredible. I've never seen that before. I need to think about that. That was a rhema. That was a rhema word. On the reverse It says, this is what I think the Lord has wanted me to do this year. I have written four things down. What is he trying to ask you to do? What do you need to pour into? What adjustment do you need to make? If you could have a better year this year than last year, what would it take? How could you help more people? How could you maximize the giftedness the Lord has put in you? Now, my verse for the year is Psalm 106, verses 30 and 31. I didn't see this coming. I'm just reading and marking. I read it, and I went, oh, my. Then I reread it, and I went, oh. Third time I read it, and goes, maybe that's for me. Turn in your Bibles. Would you please the Psalms? Psalm 106. Okay, you found it. 106, verse 30 through 31. And it says this. Before we do that, if you still got your card in your hand, do you have your card in your hand? Hold your card in your hand just for a minute. I want to pray for you. 
Hold your card in your hand, Father. Thank you that your Holy Spirit is the teacher, the convictor, the helper, the comforter. I pray for all of us that you would give us a verse or a passage that will become dear to us this year, that will save us and keep us and be a mighty weapon against darkness. In Jesus' name, amen. And here's what my verse says. Then Phineas stood up. Everyone say stood up. And intervened. Everyone say intervened. And the plague was stopped. What's this talking about? And then verse 31 says this. And Phineas's action on that day was counted to him or credited to him as righteousness. God is a righteous God. He thinks right, speaks right, acts right. Everything he does is right. And we want to be like our heavenly father. We want to live on the right side. And then the rest of the verse says this. It was counted to him as righteousness from generation to generation. And I love the last word. Forever. This event happened 36 centuries ago. And it's still being read and talked about. So would you like for your life to count? This talk is for Stevo. You get to pay attention as I bludgeon myself unconsciously. So it's for me. The story, the back story is this. There's a guy named Balaam. Everyone's a Balaam. He's a false priest from Midian, which is over toward Jordan today. If you know the story, Balaam and the donkey really happened. This prophet priest was paid a lot of money by the Midianite kingdom to curse Israel. And he tried three times and it failed three times, all because God's heart was to bless his people. His heart was not to curse his people. And that's the same for you. He wants to bless and help you. So Balaam concocted a more devious plan. If God would not destroy his people, then maybe they will destroy themselves if I set it up. So he suggested to the Midianite rulers, here's what you have to do. You send beautiful young women under the cover of darkness. Send them to the fringes of the Israelite camp to entice young Israelite men to come to their Midianite camp. And I don't think it happened overnight. Could have happened over a year. Could have been even longer. And I'm just trying to put myself in that situation. It might have looked like this. One day, three women show up on a hilltop a mile or two miles away. Mysterious. And young men that are out doing things notice them. And then a couple weeks later, a group of these young women move closer. Now they're 300 yards away and it's a hot sun, sunny day. They're under a grove of trees. And they just show up every couple of days. It's kind of mysterious. The Israelite men are curious. And then one day, one of them waved. And that got a response back. And then another couple of days, a group of three or four young men went over to where the women would come in that grove of trees. And it was just small talk. Then they were invited to take a little walk. Not a long walk, a little walk. Then they looked at the Midianite camp from a distance. And notice the closer you get to temptation and darkness, you will get in it. And they did not understand what they opened up. I 
I don't believe anyone gets up in the morning and says, wow, I would really like to destroy my life today. I've never met anybody that got up in the morning and said, let's just ruin my life today. I don't want, they never get up and say, I want to be a drunk for the rest of my life. They never do that. They never say, I want to be a thief. I want to be on the front page of the newspaper. I want to go to prison. They never say, I want to be an addict. They never say that. Uh, people never say, I'm going to get up today and bust up my family. That's what I'm going to do today. They never say, I want to ruin my health by my lifestyle. They never say, I want to get so deeply in debt. I'll never get out. They never say that. They never say, I want to throw away my good reputation in 30 minutes. They never say that. And here's what they never say. They never say, I want to walk away from God. And I want to serve the devil. They never say that. Well, how does it happen? It's little steps in the wrong direction, done slowly over time. I call it the devil's version of Google Maps. God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. The devil hates you and wants to destroy you. That's how it happens. So these young, innocent men, when they finally got to the camp, they experienced, they had sexual encounters like they'd never heard or talked about or experienced. And I want to say, it. just question, is sin addictive, yes or no? Is it, yes or no? Why? Because it feeds our flesh. It feeds our selfishness for a while. Illicit? Sexual activity is also addictive. Some of my young friends that tell me that they are now homosexual or gay. What often has happened, they had an experience out of abuse or had an experience out of curiosity. And when you have an sexual experience, it is bonding. And when you reinforce that experience and there's more bonding and more bonding and it messes with your head, your heart, your emotions, your body, before you know it, you find out people say, well, that's what I am, Steve. And I say, honey, no, that's not how God made you. You've been seduced by a spirit and you've gone down the wrong road, but you can go back. So. Not only did they have these encounters, that led them to something darker. They started going to the worship services of Baal. Baal was a primary deity of Canaan land. Eleven nations served Baal. Children were sacrificed. Horrible sexual things happened. It was the most dark stuff imaginable. But Baal primarily was a god of rain. You can imagine if you're a farmer living in the Middle East and you got a crop and you can't get rain, you start saying, well, who can I pray to that will give me rain? And if your wife or daughter cannot uh, become pregnant, who do you go to? Well, that's the God of fertility. So more and more men started slipping out at night. Teenagers, 20-year-olds, 30-year-olds, 40-year-olds, 50-year-olds, 60-year-olds, they started making the 15-mile walk. Their families didn't even know what they were doing. I got in trouble as a young person. My family didn't know what I was doing either. And it's idolatry, worshiping, loving something other than God is what destroyed a nation, and will destroy our nation. So God sent a plague because the thing had to be stopped if he was going to save the nation. A plague will get people's attention. And then the Lord told Moses that the elders, the judges of the 12 tribes needed to take care of the people that were carrying people to this place of bondage and darkness. And between the plague and between these executions, the scripture lists 24,000 people died. Men, I would think, primarily. But one more act of bravery would stop the plague. 
and save the nation. A guy named Zimri, everyone say Zimri. He was a leader from the tribe of Simeon. He did the dumbest, most brazen, most audacious thing possible. He brought his Midianite girlfriend by the name of Cosby. He did something because all this stuff previously was happening in the dark outside the camp. Let me tell you what Zimri did. He brought this girl to the Israelite camp of three, four million people. He walked her down the main street, the main alley of the Israelite camp, thumbing his nose in the face of Aaron, Moses, and God. And he went into a tent to have relations. That's how brazen he was. Aaron's grandson, a guy by the name of Phineas, everyone say Phineas. He did what his grandfather would not do because his grandfather, when he was coerced by the people to create a golden calf, Aaron not only was passive and caved with his own wicked hands, he made the image of what they had seen in Egypt. And I'm sure this boy, Phineas, knew the stories or personally observed the 3,000 people that died with the golden calf and he did something his granddaddy wouldn't do. He acted. This is the most important thing thing I'll say. He acted because he loved God. He killed both of the mockers with one thrust of the spear. And his actions made atonement for Israel's sin. Had that not happened, maybe all of them would have died. Now, some of this stuff is not in your notes, but I think it's important to understand these principles of leadership. The individual is always important. Is that true or false? Jesus talked about the shepherd that went after the one that was astray. That's always, we love the individual. But here's the principle. The group is more important than the one. When I was a youth pastor in three churches, I determined I would not let one kid destroy the whole youth group. Not going to do it. They can't conform, love you, can't come. I'm not going to let one family destroy the entire church. Not going to do that. Not going to do that. So that's what Phineas did. He did it to protect the nation, and frankly, he did it to protect you because had he not acted, you may not be in this room today. He acted as a priest. Everyone say priest. What is a priest, Steve? A priest is someone that represents God to man. Here's a trick question. Do any of you know any priests? Do you know any priests? First Peter says, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a people for God's own choosing. Turn to your neighbor and say, you are a priest. Go ahead and just turn them. You're a priest. You represent God. You're important to him. You're on mission. You have a calling. So here's the application. Now, this is for me. If you get something out of it, great. Here's the application. Sin destroys people. It just does. God is not amused by disobedience, and nothing about sin is funny to him because it destroys people. He loves people. Nothing. We should hate sin and our rebellion in our own lives like God hates it. Sin is a threat. Everyone say threat. What do you mean a threat? It's a threat to your family. You can't do something not impact others. It's a threat to you, your future. It's a threat to the body of Christ. Well, what would that be? Maybe could it be your smartphone? Could it be a friend at work? Could it be your TV? Point number two, 
If you're in leadership, if you're a mom and dad in a home, you're in the business world, you have people underneath you, tolerating poor behavior is never good because what you tolerate, you end up living with. And people live with all kind of dysfunction and they don't have to live with dysfunction. Frankly, I would rather be my, by myself rather than living with people who are going to do horrible things. I'm not going to do that. And uh, don't ever let your love for people. This is why we get to be passive. Don't let your love for people outweigh your love for God. The scripture says the fear of man is a snare. And the reason why some of us have not spoken up is we don't want to disappoint others because we tend to be more people pleasers than God pleasers. So, are you going to please God or are you going to please people? Now, all of us that have kids, some of you that have loved, have young kids, don't allow your kids to be rude. Don't allow your kids to be lazy. Don't ever tolerate disrespect in your home. Do not tolerate selfishness. Do not tolerate dishonesty in your home. If you tolerate it, it's your fault. The scripture tells us to discipline. If we withhold discipline from our children, we actually do not love them. Doing the right thing is never easy. It's uncomfortable. It's difficult. We don't want to have the hard conversation in our family or at work because we just don't want to disappoint people so it never happens, which means we actually are not loving people. Don't be passive. I think passive is never good. Instead, take responsibility. Speak up. In the city, I have the Holy Spirit is telling me I need to speak up on things, not be passive on things. I need to stand for righteousness. I don't have to be cruel, manipulative, overbearing. But I need to look with my eyes and see what's right and see what's wrong. John the Baptist was not passive. It cost him his life. But Jesus said there's no greater person that's ever been born to woman than John. This is not in your notes, but it's important. Speaking up doesn't mean I have to be outspoken. I'm not going, I don't want to be outspoken. Speaking up does not mean you give somebody a piece of your mind. Usually that's about you. Here's what we do. We think before we speak. We pray before we speak. We write up a game plan before we speak. We never do this in righteous indignation. We never do this in anger. We think, pray, write it up. If you have an employee you need to deal with, think, pray, write up what you're going to say. You got a kid that's breaking your heart, think, pray, write up what you can do, what you can do. The Holy Spirit will guide you. <clears throat> you have to make sure your motives are pure. That's not easy to do. What's the goal of addressing stuff? I want to heal people. I want to see people well. I want to strengthen people. I'm not going to condemn people. I'm not throwing stones at anybody. I don't want to destroy lives. But if I don't act, I probably will destroy lives. Worship team, would you guys come out? Now, here's a model. You ready for the model? John chapter 1, verse 14 gives us the model. Jesus is a model. Jesus was full of two things when he was here. He was full of grace. Everyone say grace. And he was full of truth. Everyone say truth. Most Christians, we're full of grace or truth. We're not, we don't do both of them very well. 
Either we're passive and we let everything go, or we're hard and cruel and we condemn everything. That's not good. The scripture says the word became flesh, dwelt among us, only begotten of the Father, full of grace. First response is grace. But I'm not, well, not going to abandon truth. Not going to abandon what's right. This is not in your notes, but sometimes people hear messages like this and say, well, I, I told my husband not to be so passive. I wish my wife wouldn't have done this. Don't be blaming others for being passive. This is for you. Really, this is for me. I need to do the right thing. Number six, if you're silent. If you're like David and never correct your kid, your adult kid. If you're like Samuel and never correct your kid, your adult kids. It can endanger the lives and souls of a lot of people because you just don't speak up. People need Jesus, and often the body of Christ, we don't reach out to people, we don't speak to them, we don't introduce ourselves, we don't ask their names, we don't offer to pray for them, and then we don't share the gospel with people. Do you know why our nation is struggling? It's not because of Washington. It's because of us. It's us. It's us. Last point. This year can be a great year. Maybe not an easy year. But a year when the Lord does significant things and helps people get free, maybe in our own families. But we have to obey the Holy Spirit. We can't say, oh, I'm not listening. We can't say, I'll do that another time, or what if they reject me? Obey the Lord and trust him for the results. Think about it. Pray about it. Come up with a game plan and help people by standing for righteousness. And just like Phineas, you will be remembered throughout all eternity. Because you attempted to do the right thing. I want to close this time in prayer. Father, I pray, release a gift of faith in the room that you can use us to turn things around one life, one group at a time. Give us the courage to hear your voice, to think through what the issue is, to pray it through and come up with a plan of response. Give us a gift of faith and courage. Give us compassion, Lord. And I pray for anyone in the room that's not given their heart to Jesus, that today they will do that. They will simply say and mean it with all their heart, Lord Jesus, come into my heart today. Be my Savior and Lord, because today I give you my life. In Jesus' name, the altar is open for you to respond to the Lord. stand as we worship.
Sing that to Jesus.
Lord, there's critical moments all around us, probably every family, our city, our nation. And Father, you called us to step into the gap, to be a shepherd, to show kindness and strength. So Father, give us the courage to do what you want us to do for the sake of others. In Jesus' name, everyone said amen.
slip out quietly. There's people doing business with the Lord. There's people that will pray with you. Pick up your children. Serve him well. Thank you for joining us online at Church of the Savior today. We hope you are encouraged to grow in your walk with Jesus. If you made a decision to follow Jesus for the first time today, please reach out to us. We would love to help you take your next step. Please visit our website for information on upcoming events and how you can connect with the COS family. There is also a prayer request form where you can let us know how we can pray for you. Thanks again for tuning in. Hope to see you next week.